and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. In this week's episode of Industry Elites, we're talking to Michael Jobity, one of the co-founders of Tunify, which is the world's first hands-free robotic guitar tuner. Their mission as a whole is to help bridge the gap between art and science. Tunify will be featured on Dragon's Den later this summer. Michael is a graduate of McMaster University's engineering program and has recently been named one of Canada's top prospects of leading innovators. Welcome to Industry Elites. On today's episode, we are welcomed by Michael Jobity, who's the co-founder of Tunify. So thanks for coming on our podcast today, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be on today. Just to give our listeners a bit of background, what is Tunify and how did it come about? So the the kind of pun is that it's tuning, so tuning a guitar. So Tunify is the world's first hands-free robotic guitar tuning stand. So it's an automated stand that can tune any six-string acoustic guitar in under 20 seconds with an accuracy of two cents. And cents is a way to kind of measure pitch variance. So it's the average human ear can detect something's off at around five cents. So we're going two cents, which is super accurate. And we're basically a bunch of passionate engineers. We were working on this project as part of our coursework, actually. I study engineering physics and management, and we're expected to develop a project to solve a problem at the end of our year that kind of takes all the learning, everything that we've learned in our previous years and try to solve a real world problem. So instead of doing the traditional route and trying to solve something within you know, nature, for instance, or medicine, we wanted to bridge the gap between art and technology because we found that was kind of like a rare thing to do. They are very separated in terms of industry, and we wanted to kind of bridge those two together. So we brought in robotics and artificial intelligence to create the stand that you see today. And we're preparing for Dragon's Den actually at the end of August. So super excited about that. Where did you guys come up with the idea for Tunify? Do you guys play guitar or is it just kind of something that you just thought there was kind of a gap in the market and a need for it and just went from there? Yeah, so we actually all play instruments. So I play piano. Everyone on our team plays a different instrument. We have one individual who can play the saxophone, another one who plays guitar. And we're always passionate about music. It's always been a a big part of our lives. And when we were kind of brainstorming ideas, we were deciding between like, what should we do? And then one of our friends had to tune their guitar and we said, actually, is there a way that we could do that? Like we were just kind of hanging out and brainstorming. And then we did some research and and realized that hands-free tuning doesn't really exist. So a device that can just tune your guitar for you. There are, you know, visualized versions of tuners that can tell you how far off you are from a certain note, but there's nothing out there that actually tunes it for you. Like you can put it on something, go on Instagram, walk away, have a bite and then come back and it's tuned for you. So that kind of spiked our interest. And our professor really liked the idea. He said it was, you know, something that would be like in a movie like Iron Man, Tony Stark, if he were to build a guitar tuner, would probably look something like what we created. (laughs) And yeah, it just kind of sparked our interest. And then we were spending so much time on it, especially for our coursework, because we had different milestones to like test the functionality of our device. And we were spending so much time and we thought we may as well bring this to market because we're so passionate about it and are, you know, devoting so much time and effort into it. 
that's definitely honestly an amazing accomplishment thus far. And the fact that this started from something that essentially, like you said, was part of your coursework, you guys being able to be featured on Dragon's Den, that's an amazing accomplishment. Did you think that it was going to get the type of recognition? Because I know even a lot of features within McMaster and you've been on other podcasts as well and getting that type of exposure. Did you think that was something you guys were going to be able to get? You know, they always say, you know, hope for the best. And we we're hoping that, yeah, it would kind of gain some traction. And we kind of felt that we had something special with like the combination between art and tech, but you never know what's going to happen. And we just, we worked really hard and are very fortunate for the opportunities that came our way. You'd be surprised. There's so many engineers who play an instrument. Like I think probably 80% of engineers like know how to play an instrument. Like I wasn't even aware of this. It resonates with a lot of people because music is such an important part. I know in my life, like even when I'm studying, I'm always listening to music. And so we're definitely very fortunate for the traction we received. I think that's a really cool product. Like I'm familiar with those little pocket-sized ones you get that get you towards the closest note, but you still have to tune it yourself. And I got one of those when I was like 15 maybe because I went through that, I'm going to learn guitar and abandoned it in two weeks because I had to learn chords. So (laughs) someone that's kind of really such a noob, I guess, for lack of a better word, with music, that would be a really, really cool device for someone like me to get interested into because it does it for you. Like you don't need to have a lot of knowledge behind that. And I think that's a really, really cool product and definitely a needed one to have. Oh, thank you. And like, that's something I experienced as well. Like just kind of going off of what you had said, I always wanted to learn the guitar and, you know, similar to what you had said, when I started learning it, I felt like there were all these mechanical barriers that I kind of had to it's, it's kind of frustrating because you're not at the point of competency where you're familiar with the chords and like the technical nature of the guitar was definitely a barrier for me. Like it was kind of taking out of the fun of learning the actual music, like having to tune it. And like, I didn't even know how to play yet. So similar to you, like I kind of stopped learning, but I'm getting back into it now, obviously, because I'm so invested into how it works and everything. So we've definitely received feedback from beginners who have said that it actually helps for them like to develop a good ear as well. Because when you're an expert, like you're definitely more experienced in terms of like what an A sounds like or what a B sounds like. But when you're just starting, you don't really have an ear for that. So having a stand that can kind of teach you that you can work with is something that's of value. Yeah, I definitely think, like you said, you found that gap in the market where you guys thought there's not really something like this out there. And I think what Vicky and I have talked about in the past is how I think our generation is always looking for ways that we can get things quicker than we got them before, in a sense, and things that will take away steps in order to get us to a final goal. So I think in this generation that we're in more than even maybe the ones before is that we're all looking for ways to make our lives easier and doing things at a quicker rate. And I think the fact that you can tune something in an incredibly short amount of time is something that a lot of people are going to be very, very interested in. So that's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. We actually had a demo about a week and a half ago. We went to a recording studio because like our target market are businesses. So like music stores, you know, who have like 60 different guitars. And then sometimes people come in, they play them and, you know, the pegs get out of tune. And then when you're actually trying to sell it, it could actually hurt your sale. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're targeting music stores, recording studios and music schools, actually, like anywhere where there's a large volume of guitars that require high accuracy. So we went to a studio called Jam Chamber Studios in Toronto. North York and they were really excited about the product and we actually went into the rehearsal studio we gave them a demo and then they were able to give some really great feedback 
because they had like 20 different rooms where they have hip hop artists coming in, like mastering and mixing their music, as well as live bands. Obviously with COVID now, they're doing a lot of recording in studios, like for like live YouTube streams. That's kind of become the the norm now for concerts. So yeah, it's, it's really nice to kind of work closely with individuals in the space and like institutions in the space to get a better feel for, for how it fits in. Do you see the product evolving in the future to do kind of other string instruments that would mean tuning like a piano? piano, for example? That's a really good question. And it's so funny you say that because a lot of people we've talked to have asked that same question. And that's definitely the long-term vision for Tunify because we have developed all of our software and hardware from scratch. It's actually really easy for us to be flexible and potentially tune other string instruments as well. Because the way our device works is we have like an artificial intelligence system that can detect where the pegs are in 3D space using cameras. So we basically like train the system to find pegs to find guitar pegs because obviously each guitar has you know slightly different shapes slightly different orientation so our system we can technically train it for like violins as well as cellos and yeah that's definitely within our scope because we feel like that would be really powerful and when we went to jam chamber studios they had also mentioned pianos which are you know really annoying i guess for a choice of words to tune because it's you know very intricate and like if one thing's not right then it all sounds off so that's definitely within our scope as well i think especially with pianos because tuning pianos is almost an art form in itself and it takes hours right so if you can kind of mitigate that process i think that would open a huge market for you guys which i'm sure you already know but i think it would be really cool to do yeah, no, it's so funny you say that too. I used to play at a restaurant, actually, Eden's Cafe by McMaster. And initially their piano was out of tune and I had to hire someone to come in. And the ability to find someone who has that rare skill set is like, is really hard. Like I went on Kijiji and all these different sites. So there's definitely a small pool of people who have that skill, but there's, you know, so many more pianos out there. And then there's also like 800 million guitars in the world today. So there's definitely a huge abundance of these instruments out there that need to be tuned. That is a crazy number. When you first said that, I was kind of thinking, oh, wow, that's a lot. And then I was thinking that I can literally see an acoustic guitar collecting dust in the corner of my living room. So... <laughs> Maybe it needs a good tune. Maybe it needs tunify, Vicky. Come on. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's ever been tuned. I think it's just part of my decor now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, maybe if you had this to tune, then you'd actually get over the hurdle. You could watch a couple YouTube videos and then maybe you'd be learning how to play your first song. Who knows? That is true. Wonderwall, look out. I'm coming for you. <laughs> so, Michael, obviously this is a large undertaking for you and the other co-founders, obviously because you have an idea of where you're wanting to take this. So, would you be able to give any insight to people who have an idea? Like, where do they get started? Because obviously this came from school, but when you have an idea, how do you bring it to life in a sense? How did you take it to that finish line? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like everyone always has like a really interesting idea. Like I know myself, I have like a note on my notes app on my phone. I have like, you know, an entrepreneurial section. I have like 200 different ideas. And um, oh, I, cool. yeah, I always, whenever I think of something, I just write it down. And I know a lot of people who have spoken who do something similar. So I definitely encourage that. It, it's definitely kind of doing that creative mindset and it's definitely like puts you in a good mood as well. One of the, the first tools I would use is like a business model canvas. Uh, which is basically, it's a very standard template in business that allows you to look at what your value proposition is, um, what your revenue streams would be, who your partners would be. So it kind of outlines all those major elements for your business. 
because you can have the best idea, but if you can't, you know, scale it in a way where it's profitable or there's scalability, then it's it's not really likely to change people's lives in a large way, right? So I would say that's like one of the first things I would do. So you know, how is your idea different from someone else's? What is the value proposition? How do you expect to obtain revenue? What kind of cost would be associated with it? Who your partners would be? What kind of distribution channels? So if you looked up Business Model Canvas online, there's like tons of different templates with different colors. And that's a great starter, I would say. And then the, the next thing I would do is I would start doing as many customer interviews as possible, which is basically just having like discovery calls with, you know, people who might fit your customer segment or people in the field who might be able to give expertise on the area that you're focused on. And that's what we did as well. So we spoke with, you know, over a hundred guitarists as well as recording studios and schools because we wanted to ensure that we weren't assuming people have this problem, but actually have validation that that they do have this problem or they might have like a slightly different problem. And how can we tailor our idea to hit the source of what is causing issues in their life within music? So I think those two things are really important to do from the start. And then the next thing I would do is, you know, reach out if if you do want to start it yourself, you know, there's definitely no issues doing that, but definitely having a team of even two or, or more who are passionate about the same things you are, it definitely helps because you have people who you can bounce ideas off of. If you're doing pitch competitions, you can kind of prepare and have more like chemistry and like a more entertaining aspect to your pitch if you have more than one person. So there's definitely benefits in having a strong team. And yeah, and then you just kind of go from there. So reaching out to people, looking for resources, obviously it depends on the type of business that you have. If you have like a more SaaS model or like, which is like a software as a service or like a software based idea, then there's slightly different steps to follow than if it's more hardware. Like for instance, the initial upfront cost for software, I mean, other than like, you know, hosting the servers and ensuring that, you know, the web page is reliable and you buy the domains and things like that. Yeah. In terms of like the operational expenditure, it's not nearly as much as like a hardware product where you actually have to build something and have it shipped out and, you know, have packaging and create your supply chain. So there's a lot of different types of businesses out there. And I think understanding where you fit earlier on would help your chances of success. And there's a lot of incubators out there. When I say incubator, I mean like non-for-profits that basically help accelerate startups, like early stage startups. We're currently working with an incubator in Hamilton called The Forge. We were fortunate to receive funding from them and, and then we have access to their resources and places to meet. So there's definitely a huge appreciation and a huge community within Canada and like the whole world for entrepreneurs. And a lot of them are linked to universities. So every university, I believe, in Canada has an associated incubator or an accelerator. So I would definitely recommend reaching out to them. Like even in the idea phase, they would definitely have resources and insight that could help accelerate you further. I know that was a long, a long answer, but I feel like I, <laughs> you know, covered the journey a little bit there. No, you definitely didn't. I think it's super beneficial. And that's why we like to have these conversations and why Vicky and I wanted essentially the whole idea behind industry elites is that we can have these conversations and people can really hear about what goes into reaching that level of success. Because a lot of the times, yes, okay, maybe you could go Google it. But when you're Googling something, you'd have maybe like a million, two million search results to get an answer that maybe specifically doesn't fit on there. So when you're hearing about other people's experiences and the steps 
steps they kind of took. And maybe like you said, even that free template that you started with in the beginning to help organize yourselves and to know the direction you were kind of going into. That's essentially what we want to do. Like we just want to make everybody and help them be successful and learn from people who have achieved that success. So we definitely appreciate your long answer, but it's always welcome. (laughs) I think just a follow up on that would be I've seen some of your promo videos and I have to say they are very creative and it looks like you and your team definitely do have fun with working. So was that part of the marketing plan for you guys or you just wanted to promote it and make that creative video? Myself, like I love anything like on the visual side as well as music. I feel like music and visuals go hand in hand. They complement each other. Mm-hmm. And one of our requirements for our course, it's called Capstone. That's kind of like the engineering course at the end of the year. We had like a presentation day, right? So I wanted to kind of create the feeling of what like a music technology product would look like and how it would be kind of futuristic. So yeah, so I, I definitely had a lot of fun editing that and putting the pieces together and you know hitting our value proposition. The main idea for that was to make it exciting and to inspire people and to show that there is a possibility to blend those two industries, which are often separated and putting them together with things like robotics and artificial intelligence. It's not really common for, you know, B2B product or a consumer product, I guess mainly more B2B, but in the realm of something like a guitar tuner to have things like advanced robotic arms that latch using computer vision and bringing that to the consumer, I think is really important. To have that in your hand or in your house is is really exciting. So we tried to, yeah, to showcase that through the video that we made. So yeah, like I loved putting the music together and tried to give it like a modern feel. And I really appreciate you with the kind words on, you know, how you enjoyed it. It's, it's definitely nice to hear that because it definitely took a long time. Uh, to <laughs> I can imagine. I can um, definitely imagine. <laughs> so for our listeners and for Vicky, I'm not sure if you watched, so we'll be able to link it in the bio when the podcast goes live. But Vicky, they recreated kind of like an American Idol feel or like audition type thing as well. So it was honestly so creative. And I think definitely if people haven't seen it, like I said, we'll link it and then people can take a look and learn a little bit more about, about what you guys are doing. So that's exciting. Thank you. It's funny too, when you're saying the American Idol, because there's actually an episode, which I wasn't even aware of, where like the whole episode was people coming in and auditioning with guitars out of tune. And then Lionel Richie had to like help tune their guitar. And yeah, it's just kind of embarrassing. And just, it's awkward, right? It's like talking to someone and you forget your words. Like that's the equivalent in music, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah, no, that's really funny. It sounds like a fun video. I'll definitely check that out after our recording. So you kind of mentioned that you guys were looking to market product more towards like B to be music stores and studios. Do you kind of see this as a potentially like a home product for that novice musician? Yeah, as I had mentioned, I think because of uh, like looking at the market and how big it is and all the, you know, the number of stores and music stores and studios that are out there, we feel like our product fits more with B2B, at least starting off, because the average consumer, you know, they might already have like a small visualizer, although it doesn't tune their guitar for them. I think there's more incentive and more value for businesses, at least starting off. But we do think that with economies of scale, we can bring our costs down and like meet a price point that's similar to like a regular guitar stand for consumers so that in that aspect, if they're at a store and they're had, they have to buy a guitar stand, you know, they can buy one that just holds their guitar for you, uh, which people actually pay quite a bit for like premium guitar stands cost 
up to like $200 and people are buying them and they don't do anything. Like they just hold your guitar for you, right? Like it's not really doing anything else. Mm -hmm. So we're confident that when we're able to match that price point, that it would make sense. Like you can either get a guitar stand that holds your guitar or you can get one that's the same price, but also tunes your guitar for you and helps the reliability of your guitar as well. So we definitely do see it as a home product, as you had mentioned, but we are currently targeting the B2B. It just makes sense with our model and our financial model and our structure and the the need and the demand that's out there currently but we definitely know that there will be you know quite a bit of guitarists and early beginners and also musicians who are into like the tech and the gadgets who would buy it as well so yeah it's definitely kind of like a dual market strategy it's b2b but also b2c well no that's definitely exciting i think looking on that a lot of I'm sure you'll be getting more inquiries and more positive press just in regards to your business. So maybe you could tell us a bit about how you guys are preparing for Dragon's Den because that is on itself, I'm sure, a whole other journey that you guys are having to conquer. Everything we're doing anyways is along the path of preparing for Dragon's Den as well. Like we're optimizing our product. Like we have a working prototype and are, you know, working with manufacturers to have an initial batch created for pilots within different, like, as I mentioned, recording studios and schools, et cetera. And then also amplifying our sustainable manufacturing process to meet a higher demand. So there's, you know, the technical aspect of it, but then there's also the business side. And I've currently been watching, like I've probably watched over a hundred different episodes just <laughs> to get a feel for the certain metrics that they look for, you know, like mm. customer acquisition costs are always come up. What are your sales like? Like what kind of business model do you have? You know, what are your plans within the next one to two years? Why is your team the best? There was a talk by Kevin O'Leary, although he's not one of the dragons for this season. In one of his videos, a really nice outline of what a successful pitch looks like. And he basically said, one, you want to be able to convey the opportunity that the dragons or the investor would have within the first, you know, 90 seconds. And it has to be clear and simple. Number two, like know your numbers and all your financial, all your metrics, your business numbers, like you have to know that. Have it all memorized and really know so that you can make calculations on the spot if you have to. And then number three is to convey why your team is the best to execute the idea that you have. So those three things really hit home with us. And We've really been working hard. So Mitchell Wong is another co-founder and we're going to be the ones who are pitching on Dragon's Den. And we're also the two that auditioned for Dragon's Den as well. So we kind of like have our pitch that we do together and, you know, try to make it funny and entertaining as well. So we've been working on refining our pitch as well as the presentation side of it. So having, you know, someone play, well, I don't want to give too much away at the start, but like the idea is that, you know, someone would be playing out of tune and then the solution would be tunify and then we'd be able to kind of tune their guitar, like using our stand and showcasing the awkwardness of playing out of tune, right? Like it's very clear when you're listening to something and it's not sounding right and you want to enjoy it and smile and clap, but it's, it doesn't sound right. And that awkwardness is a pain point that people definitely feel like you don't have to tell someone to feel that way. So we're really going to leverage that feeling in the pitch, but also like our financial model and understanding our projections, our revenue projections for the next three years, as well as all of our costs, our the margins that we have within our costs and what we're selling it for, as well as all of our numbers and our manufacturing strategies. So just ensuring that we're all clear and concise on those numbers and understand how we want to work with the dragons for, you know, potential investment and how we'd be able to add value to them and, and what skill sets they have that would help accelerate our business as well. So yes, it's definitely been a lot. It's been like everything is towards Dragon's Den in a way. And it definitely helps us prepare for other investment pitches 
but definitely, yeah, it's been a lot of work. I mean, even today, we, we've been working, you know, full-time, obviously, each day. And I currently have three of our co-founders working on the device in one of our proto spaces now. And But just really excited. Like, we're all really passionate and we, we feed off each other's energy. So, yeah, really, really excited. And I think the important thing is, too, is that it's exciting and to smile and, you know, not to be nervous, but to be, you know, in the moment. So, you know, we're definitely ensuring that we have that mindset going in as well. Well, I was going to say that is very cool, but at the same time, sounds so nerve wracking. But I think if anybody can pull off the perfect pitch, you definitely would be able to. For anybody who doesn't know, Michael actually was our valedictorian in high school. So I think <laughs> from that point all the way through university to now, you just you've had all the necessary steps to give the utmost amazing pitch. So I think I have full faith that so many people would too. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. It doesn't seem that long ago, you know, but it was. That's I know. definitely missed those right. days. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a lot of a lot of time has passed. And I think from what you've been able to do, that's been very exciting. I was going to say one of our questions is even how did you guys end up finding the opportunity? But that's super cool that you guys were able to do a whole pitch as well. So do you have to send in like a video? Was it like you went in person? How did that work? There was like a post on LinkedIn that said, you know, Dragon's Den auditions next week. And we we're like, oh, we got to do that. And like during that time, we were also doing other pitch competitions. So we were fortunate to kind of be in that headspace and that like we had all of our pitches, you know, refined and we were doing a lot of presentations. So there was like an online forum that we had to fill out. So we did that. And then they were filming at different locations across Canada, like the producers were traveling. I'm not sure where they started, but they were going to Quebec, to Ontario, and then like going all the way to the west side in BC. I think they had to stop somewhere because of COVID and then eventually transition to like online pitches. But we were fortunate to have an in-person pitch, like an audition at McMaster Innovation Park, which is like very close to McMaster. And we didn't even realize that that was one of the audition zones we went in, Mitchell and I, we brought in our stand and we had a cloak over it. So we were waiting in, you know, the waiting room with other entrepreneurs. And it looked like we had, like we were covering like a time machine or something because, <laughs> you know, our product is very hardware focused and people were guessing. They're like, what is that? Like, is it a time machine? Is it like, a, you know, a robot under there? It was good, too, because it kind of allowed us to practice our pitch even before the audition again, because so many people had questions. It looked like we're hiding something from the military or, you know, the way it looked from the outside, <laughs> which is pretty funny. But yeah, we went in, we set up all of our stuff. We presented our pitch that Mitchell and I practiced and the producers really enjoyed it. Like they, they found it really funny. They liked our energy and they had some follow-up questions that we answered. And then they said, you know, we'll let you know in about a month. And then I received an email and yeah, in about a month's time saying to hop on a Zoom call. They said that, you know, the Zoom call would be recorded because our team has additional questions or something. So Mitchell and I were like, oh my gosh, we got to prepare and, and know our numbers because, you know, this could be, you know, the make it or break it situation. Oh, and then we went on the Zoom call and she said, okay, I'm going to start recording now. And then she clicked record and said, we just want to let you know you guys are on the show. And then we were like, what? Like we didn't, we weren't expecting that. And we're like, oh, you're and then like, you stress me out and <laughs> thinking I'm going to have to like repitch my thing. And you're just telling me congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're obviously like super happy that that's how it went. Like that's like best case scenario. They want to record our reactions really is what they wanted to do. So, you know, Mitchell and I were like, oh my 
my gosh, this is amazing. And and Mitchell was like, I think he said something like when he was a kid, he used to watch Dragons then. And it's nice to, you know, be on the show now. And it, it was really funny. And it was a nice chat that we had with her. And then, yeah, and then she basically kind of outlined the next steps and when they would be filming in Toronto, which would be at the end of August, early September. So I think there's like a, a two to three week window. And then I'm not entirely sure of when it will air. I think they, they have to go through editing and then like select which ones they want to be like on Netflix or on their CBC website. So it's definitely, it's been really exciting. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of like the journey kind of leading up to, to where we are today. That's really exciting. And I hope it goes through all the things kind of COVID. I feel like all these kind of things are like up in the air right now. So I really hope you do get to film towards the end of the summer. I was just kind of wondering, like, McMaster has seemed to provide you guys with a lot of help, a lot of support, and a good foundation to get your engineering careers going. Do you think university yeah. has prepared you for the next steps going forward? Definitely. Like in terms of like the technical side of, I mean, I was in engineering, physics and management. So I definitely took business courses as well, like marketing, accounting, finance, et cetera. And it definitely like, especially in engineering physics, like a lot of people, you know, when you say you're in engineering physics, people ask you like, are you okay? Are you, do you want to <laughs> hurt yourself or whatever? And, but I mean, it all, it all stems from, you know, passion. And like, I've always been passionate about physics and, you know, it definitely wasn't the easiest program. Right. And I think the biggest thing is that it's everyone who's graduated from engineering or like any program really like it teaches you how to overcome adversity and basically how to you know sit on your butt even when you're tired and you want to go to sleep like the determination and the motivation to be able to like to study to practice and then do the practical side and and be assessed on that is is really those are really strong life skills that are applicable in any job that you do and that's not even you know mentioning like the actual content itself so things like engineering principles of design manufacturing process improvement all those things are definitely very applicable to the workplace. And I know when I worked at Airbus last year, I took like a operations management course as part of my degree. And that definitely really helped with manufacturing and process improvement and lean manufacturing. So I definitely took a lot of those principles. So like the technical side is definitely really, really strong because, you know, it obviously depends on what industry you go into. And the cool thing about engineering physics is a lot of the things we're learning are like very cutting edge. Like I had a quantum computing class in my wow. second of my final year, which is fairly new technology, right? And it's the idea of having those courses in modern physics and that shape the technology of the future. I didn't take a blockchain class, but you know, I, I was able to kind of learn the fundamentals of coding to be able to understand concepts like that. But again, like even outside of the academic realm, there are always things that pop up that you haven't learned. And I think the ability to learn quickly, which is a skill set that you learn in school, can help you bridge the gaps of things that you didn't cover in school, if that makes sense sense. Even, you know, starting a company, there's not really a course you can take on that because there's so many different avenues, like depending on what your product or service is, the timing, your revenue model, what your target market is, your customer acquisition strategy. There's so many variables that there's not really like one formula that fits all. You know, there's definitely like foundational formulas where, you know, you want to have, you know, a strong background and have like your financial models ready, but there are very tailored applications out there and you're going to have to like learn on the spot. And 
we've definitely had meetings and we're learning every single day. But yeah, I think whichever gaps there are in industry from academia, I think the skill of being able to learn quickly, to learn from your environment is a valuable skill to to close those gaps. Yeah, definitely. I'd have to agree with you there. It's just one of those things that you have to eventually learn by going through your classes and getting that experience. They can't just sit you down and be like, this is experience 101. You need to gain it. The follow up with that is you sound like you have, have quite the uh, hefty course load with all your <laughs> physics classes and things that I don't even remember. They are so complex in the title. <laughs> Did you find it hard balancing your course load and creating your invention? So every year that I've been in school, like I've always been really interested in, you know, being a part of like clubs and extracurriculars and like starting things on the side as well. I personally like enjoy when things are busy and when I have a lot going on, like I'm the kind of person that like if I if there's not a lot going on, like I'll start to feel like I won't feel like as happy or like as motivated, which sounds like very, you know, counterintuitive. But I think for me, like it definitely was very busy. Like I also I was taking nine courses in my final semester, which is, you know, quite a bit of courses. Say but, one semester, nine yeah. courses, one semester. Michael, oh my gosh, when did you sleep? <laughs> I definitely, I prioritize sleep, surprisingly. I mean, I, I probably didn't get as much as I should have, mm-hmm. but a lot of the courses kind of overlap each other as well. So if you're studying for one course, it kind of helps you with other ones. And it's not like there's assignments going on all the time. You know, you have like your clear deadlines, you know, always do at 11.59 p.m. on Avenue to Learn. And I would put that on my wall on my calendar. And it definitely kind of helps doing that, like at least for me and allowed me to organize myself in in a way to do that. But I think those time management skills definitely kind of were built through each year because I was always involved in like extracurriculars. And I think it definitely helped me to, you know, be in a good mental space and have like a positive outlook on having all these things to do. And a lot of the things I was doing, I was like actually passionate about. So it wasn't really work for me. I mean, obviously like studying for midterms and exams is is work. I mean, that's real work for sure. I would definitely recommend working on things that excite you because, you know, if Tunify was something else that I wasn't really passionate about, it definitely would have been much harder to balance everything because you have to push yourself even more to work on it. Whereas in my final year, everything kind of like a smoother transition into doing the work. And it was also exciting. Like it's, you're building something and you're excited to see where it goes and you have a team with you who has the same mindset. I always tell my parents and, you know, any other adults out there that if you just see like a university student just walking by, always give them a hug because they're always going through like 20 different things and, you know, trying to balance it all. So I think even outside of engineering, it's a skill set that you've obviously developed as well throughout your undergraduate career. And yeah, like students are amazing. You know, I've seen the struggles that they go through and yeah, they're definitely heroes and role models for sure. Yeah, that's interesting you're saying that because I think one of the things we've also talked about in a past episode is on uh, one of our other entrepreneurs was how different the school life is going to be just due to COVID, right? And the mental yeah. health aspect of everything. And especially in regards to students, right? Like how do they still get those levels of support? Obviously clubs and meetings and student study groups, those will be changing as well. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what the new norm is going to look like. And especially for 
for students making even that transition out of high school into that university college platform. So we definitely have sympathy to them and empathy and all the rest, but I'm <laughs> sure that everybody will find a way to be successful. So I think just the final thing that we just want to touch on, and then if you want to add anything else that we maybe didn't discuss, you are free to let us know and give us any insight. But as an engineer and entrepreneur, what advice would you give to someone starting out or even that high school student going into university or college? They're not sure of what they want to do. Obviously, this is, I think, a typical question that we hear a lot is, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Like, I'm only 20. Like, I just want to take a course and see what happens. But maybe from your insight of just the past few years on Mac, maybe you can give a bit of direction as to how they should go about that. Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely a really good question. Because even myself, like when I was, I had a not the best picture for engineering, like before, like in grade 12, like I was, you know, part of, we had like a robotics team and it didn't seem like, I always thought there was something more, but I had like a really bad idea of what it was. And I, for, for some reason, I thought it was strictly robotics and like the technical nature of yeah, m- sure. mechanical design. But it's so much more than that. And I think what would have helped me personally is, or what I would suggest is kind of looking out there and see what excites you. Like, what are you thinking about all the time? Like, there's something that all of us are thinking about, whether that's like music or art or business. There's something that regardless, like when you're just about to go to sleep or, you know, when you're in the shower, they always say like shower thoughts. There's something that (laughs) that always kind of sticks with you. And I think it's not something to overlook. Like you're definitely, you know, there's a saying that your passions kind of choose you. So whatever like interests you, or if there's a person out there that's doing something that you want to do, what I always like doing is kind of tracing back their life and seeing what they did and what kind of career path they had. So for instance, you know, people like, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, like, you know, now they're, you know, world renowned and you know what they're doing, but like they all started off somewhere and Mm-hmm. Being able to understand where they started, like what kind of things they were working on can definitely help you at least create like a foundation or a framework for how you want to proceed, uh, even as like your first step. There's two things. Obviously, there's things you're passionate about already, but there could be passions out there that you don't even know you have yet. And the best way to do that is through experience. So there's so many podcasts out there now, which similar to yours are like hour long podcasts where it's very, it almost feels like you're in the room with the guests. And what I found really helpful is listening to those in industries that you're interested in, even ones that you're not familiar with, because you could see ties or or things that people have said that actually resonate with your life. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know that, you know, investment banking did X, Y, and Z. Like that's something that I'm really interested in or, you know, for whatever career that is. And even entrepreneurship, like obviously the idea is very, like it could be anything, but if you are, if you're passionate or like you really like the process that entrepreneurs go through and, and that excites you, then that might be a red flag. You might be like, oh, wow, like maybe I should start kind of building this thing on the side and find people who are interested in the same space as me and, you know, reach out to a mentor and and get the ball rolling. And then you can kind of get a feel for what that's like. So I think the earlier you can do that, the better. And the best way is to to try out as many things as possible, because there might be things out there, as I had mentioned, that you don't know you like, but you actually do really like. And that's definitely a problem that I face as well. And I recently actually, I worked with a team to to launch a platform called Flame On. And that's actually the sole purpose of that website is to bring people together to get an idea of like some of the projects that are out there in a range of different fields. But there's also a lot of other ways to do that. 
that, there's like meetups that you can do. Meetup is like a popular platform, as well as like just networking and going to business events. And obviously now it's difficult with COVID, but there are actually a lot of, I think even more like live events now, like hosted on Zoom, you know, about X, Y, and Z, or you want to develop this skill, or you're interested about this industry. And a lot of them are free. I feel like people value you know, a higher attendance rather than, you know, getting that initial revenue in. So a lot of these sessions are often free. And then like, if you want, you know, further in-depth mentorship or whatever, they might have a cost, but even companies like Microsoft, I was, I'm actually going to attend one tomorrow from Amazon. That's teaches about Alexa skills and how voice oh, wow. technology is expected to like revolutionize the future. And I would definitely use these different platforms. People are so close together now because of the internet and even closer because of COVID industries and artists and all these people who felt like really far away before are actually much closer to you. And I would definitely leverage that to help create or to help kind of influence your decisions for high school students, I would definitely look at the types of jobs that people in different industries have. So like engineers or entrepreneurs, business experts, et cetera. And if the job is one that resonates with yourself, then I would see that as something that's of value. And I would maybe take a closer look. But I think talking to people is the best thing because they always give you more of a realistic insight into what it's like and the type of person you are. Like if you're big on being a team well, not necessarily team player, but like if you like working in teams or are you more yeah. of a person that likes, you know, hashing out numbers or doing marketing or, you know, graphic design and then presenting it later on. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of resources out there and the best ways to invest the time in yourself and to learn what you like and what excites you. Definitely. I think one of the, well, they were all great takeaways that people can really get insight on and use all those different platforms as good resources. But I think maybe to end us off, just talking about following your passion. I think that's really important that people realize and recognize that I'm sure lots of people have found great inventions and created multitude of different things. But I feel like if you are not passionate about something that people are going to have a hard time selling it and then they're going to have a hard time wanting to buy it from someone as well. So from what we can see talking to you now and knowing you from before and your team that you guys are very passionate about this product and it's something that you're doing because you you love it. And I'm sure a lot of people will be able to see that as well. Thank you very much. And I definitely agree. You know, there's always people who say, you know, you know, don't follow your passion, you know, go for, but like generally, like if you compare two people who are working on the same job, if you're excited about it, like you're going to outperform the person who doesn't like it. Like that's just, mm -hmm. that's just, you know, factual, right? So, you know, there definitely needs to be a blend of interest there because that's, what's going to allow you to put in those extra hours, that extra energy. So I'm definitely a person who's pro passion. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> agreed, yeah. agreed. Well, I think I can safely speak for Natalie and I and thanking you for joining us on the podcast today. Definitely enjoyed speaking with you and I'm sure our listeners will love it as well. Is there anything that you'd want to say before we kind of close it out for today? I think the one thing I would say is, you know, with COVID, there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of loom and gloom. Oh my goodness. And obviously there, there have been people who unfortunately have passed away and there's been the spread of COVID. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunities to innovate and to inspire people and to make a difference. And whenever there's been a dip in the economy or there's been an event that's been negative, there's always been positive results from that. Like when there was a 2008 dip, we had all these ride sharing applications like Uber and Airbnb. So I definitely encourage people listening to look at what problems COVID would create, like whether that's within your day to day, look at how it's affecting you and be one of the people who comes out with something that's really interesting and that, that influences people because 
there's definitely a demand for innovation now, especially with the change in infrastructure. So yeah, I encourage you to to make a difference and to innovate during this time because it's a really significant opportunity for that. And I think odds are in your favor. Yeah, I think we had said before that COVID allows you to reinvent yourself in a time frame that I don't think we've had. I don't want to say the luxury, but that we've had the experience in receiving before. When has been a time when the world has ever shut down to the magnitude that it did? So definitely looking at the positives of the situation and how you can take the most out of it and be better than kind of you were before when we got in the situation. So thank you again for coming on, Michael. Uh, any of our listeners, if you're looking for more information about Tunify. You can find it on our website and in the description below. Thanks so much, Michael. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Cheers.